This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. Seventeen minutes after the hour is seven o'clock. Thank you so much, Avril, for our major news and sleepy spilled coffee on the table. As I shake my head. Thank you so much, Bermudez, makers of Cricks, your vital supplies. Cricks goes with everything. So just make sure and grab your Cricks. Keep it in the car. Keep it in the truck, in the office, at a home. Keep Cricks in your bag when you go to church. In fact, I'm sure. I am positive there is a pack of cricks at the Archbishop's house. I'm sure of it. I'm so sure of it. But thank you, Bermudez, the makers of cricks, your vital supplies. All right. And of course, before we get the Archbishop in, let us uh, get the results of our morning poll, which Richard will do right now. He's trying to do yeah, two um, things um, the poll this morning was do you plan to do anything of a religious nature this weekend mm-hmm. we had 13 people that said yes and five people that said no we had a total of 18 people voting in on the poll so 18 people voted 13 said yes five said no i i thought i had a, no, I had a very naughty thought not his name but evil just remember which company was, we're in with your I, naughty I thought, thought i thought steve was playing madonna for his grace. <laughs> Not quite the Madonna. His grace is, is uh, more Okura with I, I can play Papa, don't preach. His grace, Archbishop Jason Gordon. Your, your grace, are you a Madonna fan? The pop star Madonna? No, I really enjoyed Evita, which is a, a, a movie that Madonna starred in and sang in. Um, it's brilliant. Um, I, I can't say that I, I really follow Madonna as, a, as one of my favorite um, artists, but you know, I, I, I do. I, I have listened to her music. She, she's been quite controversial with the Catholic Church. Let's oh yes, yeah. oh, yeah. oh oh, she has been. Some of her videos have have been viral, not for the music. Burning crucifixes and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Good, good morning and happy, happy and holy Easter to you, Your Grace. Thank you so much, and it's great to be here with you. And um, just to answer the question, yes, I have a couple of months of cricks here and some of those long pockets of cricks, so yes. You I, see, I, 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 I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I to ask a question. Vital supply. Vital supply. Are you planning to engage in religious activities this weekend? Absolutely. <laughs> That's a absolutely. This is the weekend of all weekends. It is. Yes, yeah, so we can add one more to the pool. Yes. So it's the most significant weekend in the Christian calendar. Correct. Because of the, uh, of course, the death, well, the journey and the, and the cross uh, for Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and his 
resurrection after three days. Just give us a, a, a context as the Archbishop for the faithful and those who mean it because the, 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 the principles of Christianity may be considered universal in many ways as, as some of the religions in terms of the importance of this weekend. So it is the climax of, of everything that we, we know about Jesus Christ. So Christmas is his birth and that's cute and wonderful, cuddly child in a crib and, and all the rest of it. His, his life we have in the Gospels and, and how they unfold with his moral teaching, his healings, the power that he demonstrates as Son of God. But it is here now at the end of the story that the story really begins. Because what we see is a complete rejection of it by the establishment. And, and ultimately, the crowd turns into a mob and the mob turns against him. Crucifying, crucifying, they will say. Thursday is the day that he does the Last Supper. The Last Supper is both institution of the Eucharist and the ordination of the first priest apostles. And so in, in, the, in the Thursday night or Thursday evening um, celebration, we focus on the washing of feet, the Eucharist and priesthood. But the priesthood part, we took it out and we did that on Monday afternoon with the renewal of, of priestly promises and the blessing of the, of the oil. So this morning I go to maximum security and do mass there with washing of feet. Yes, some of our inmates, their feet will be washed in the midst of... What is the symbolism of that? Is it service? It's, it's um, humility, service, and the, and the recognition. So when, Peter, when Jesus watches Peter's feet, Peter starts objecting, you are my Lord, you are my teacher, how can you wash my feet? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, no, you'll have to understand the meaning of this. If I am Lord and teacher, and I wash your feet, then you too must wash the feet of each other. And, and so it's, it's humility and service, so and the need, recognition that the leader is actually the one who must you be need like the a one. Book or something here, something it's like not that. profound for today's life in this country and around the world that sometimes okay. uh, leaders, in, I'm not talking about political leaders alone, I'm talking about leaders in every sphere, leaders in households, leaders in communities, should really get that, that leadership is about service and humility. It, it, and, and that's why the day is such a profound day. The, the, um, you, you know, when you, when one, last time I did it, 2019, because of course we've had COVID in between, couldn't go to the prison. But prisoners cried. Prisoners cried when in the, in the washing of the feet. Prison officers cried. Um, people in the ministry came to sing and stuff, they cried. Why? Because it's, it is a very profound ritual and it's a very profound gesture. And, and if it is done from a pure heart and not just a show, then it's something that really moves at the very core of, of, of your being. Because if, if the Archbishop could wash my feet, then, you know, that says something to me about what I need to do for other people now and how I'm supposed to live, live going, going forward. From. So that's a Thursday. The Friday is the day when the rejection solidifies. So Thursday evening it starts. Friday it comes full-blown. Pilate will, will wash his hands and allow the mob to do what the mob wants to do. And, and out of that then, what you have is the next stage of it where what you have now is, is an is a un, un, unraveling of everything. He's, put on a, he's given the cross. He takes the cross of Calvary. He's, he's crucified, beaten, stone rejected in the most bizarre ways and, and so that's a friday celebration 
the, the reenactment of the Passion on Friday morning. We always have the reenactment of the Passion in, in several parts of the, of the country. And then on Friday evening um, at 3 o'clock, we, we have the most solemn celebration where we, we reenact or celebrate the crucifixion of Christ. Then Saturday now is the is day when everything turns in another mood. And on Saturday, you have the, the, the most joyful of all celebrations because Christ who was crucified is now risen from the dead. And, and, and this celebration is where we receive people into the church where um, those who have been preparing to become Catholic, they will become Catholic and, and be baptized and or be received. And, and here in this celebration, we, we have the lighting of the Paschal candle. Christ, the light has come into the world. We, we have the ringing of the bells for the first time, the singing of the glory for the first time since the 40 days of Lent, and, and all the jubilation and joy. But, but what the Easter is really saying is that no matter how dark and difficult things become, if we keep our eyes on God, we know that God will break through the deepest darkness. And we don't know how, but, but hope will spring from whatever seems to be dark, difficult, and impossible. And, and so in, in the midst of, of all that is so difficult in our life right now in Trinidad and Tobago, rising gas prices, um, food inflation, shortage of jobs, everything that is so difficult, keep our eyes on Christ. And what, what, what we will find is a resurgence, a renewal, a, a, a revitalizing of, of, of life as we know it in our families and in our, in our nation. But isn't the resurrection, Archbishop, um, of course it's the, it's the foundation of Christianity, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, if there was no resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Would it be, would it be accurate to say that? Yes, Paul even says that. He says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then in vain is our hope, and in vain is my preaching, and in vain is my whole life, and I would be one of the biggest fools in a parade um, showing, showing how foolish I am. Because the resurrection in itself is symbolic of, of, um, of, of Christ's conquering sin and death. Correct. And that because we are born into sin, according to Catholic doctrine, we are born into sin, and, and his resurrection is the redemption and the rebirth um, of yeah. ourselves, and that's what gives, us, um, what gives us the hope of overcoming death ultimately and sin ultimately and being able to enter the kingdom of God. That's and, what... And yes, and that's why this is such a high moment. Because it is because of the resurrection of the dead that we know that sin will never have the last say. It's because of the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that, that we know that our mortal bodies, though we will die, that we will live forever. Because if Christ has been raised from the dead, so too he will raise us from the dead. And we, we, will, we are destined for eternity. And that, that means that it's not just that we, we can now look beyond this earth as a horizon but we also have to see in this world while we are living that we are living not by the power of death but by the power of the resurrection which which means that that whatever it is we are facing that god has already raised from the dead jesus christ our lord that same power is working inside of us 
How do we reconcile, Archbishop, the amazing hope in the resurrection and Jesus Christ walking the earth some 2,000 years ago and the, the, the whole trilogy, as it were, of the, the, the crucifixion, resurrection, or the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and how the world is going in spite of that, in spite of that hope, in spite of that sacrifice by Jesus Christ, in spite of God's promise, we seem to be going downhill. We, we came out of a pandemic where million, millions died. We have a Ukraine-Russia crisis. We have Democrats against Republicans. We have PNM versus UNC. And the world doesn't seem to be moving in the direction of accepting the, the, the hope of salvation. How do we reconcile that as, as human beings? And in between all of that, if we have the eyes to see, we also see people doing heroic things. We, we, we see, like in Ukraine, we, we see people risking their lives. We see a nation that is resilient beyond all belief. Everybody thought, come, give them two, three days and they'll fall before the mighty Russian army. How many weeks have we gone already? And, and that people is still resilient and, and still holding their hope and, and, and holding out. And, and here in Trinidad and Tobago, I mean, I've met many people who have lost their jobs and, and who, who had a terrible time during the pandemic, not knowing how to, how to survive, and, and who have done okay, and, and, and who have been resilient and bouncing back and, and finding a way forward. So we, we have to see both sides of it. Now, we are, we are much more prone in our culture to look at the negative and to look at the, the, the what has gone wrong. And, and I think that has led us not only to see it and to see it more blatantly, but to give more credence to it than the hope. And that takes us in a wrong direction too. And, and, and that's the media cycle that has trained our eyes to see the, 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 the spectacularly bad and, and to highlight it as ordinary. And so people start to get this jaded view of life. Well, well when, when we look at life from another perspective, it's not quite that way. So last week, Friday, um, we had a day of fast with Muslims, Hindus, Catholics, Christians, everybody, Orish, everybody. And I went down to the, to the mosque in Charlieville to break that, to break the fast with the, the Imam Mufti and, and the community there. And, and this is Trinidad and Tobago. And we talk about racism and we talk about all the, the strife between them. But, but when, when we got together, we were brothers. And, and we spoke in a different language. And, and it was a whole different feeling. And, and I left there in my car saying, thank God for Trinidad and Tobago. Thank God for this blessed country. Do you think that's the rule as opposed to the exception, though? You are particularly enlightened men who come together to show that we are a united country, but on the ground, do you think that's the pervasive thought? And yes, we live together. David Rudder said we don't party how we vote and stuff like that. But, I mean, we see how easy it is for us to be divided along political and race lines, even while that wonderful uh, sentiment that you described is, is, is prevalent in many circles. The question I will ask is, is, is that our default position? 
or has media and social media especially changed our default position to what I would call the LCM, the lowest common um, factor? Because if, if, if constantly we are asked to look at the lowest form of our life, that's, that's exactly where we start going. So the rants on social media highlight what seems to be such a terrible picture of our nation. When I meet people one-on-one, -on -one, that's not what I see. That's but not it's what it's I see. It's interesting you say that, but you, you, you talk about media, and I'm just being, I don't want to say devil's advocate in your presence, but <laughs> that's uh, uh, Social media and media now. Jesus Christ had a profound effect on Jerusalem and the environs while he was alive. There was, no media, there, there was no social media. But as profound as the effect he has as a son, had as the son of the God with his teachings, they turned him in a, in him in a snap Absolutely. and asked him to be crucified without media and social media. So Absolutely. is it innate in humans to dismiss the good and veer to the bad? Or because it's easy to blame the media now. But what happened then? Well, it is in our hearts to choose life or death. And, and what we have seen over a long span of humanity is, is that it's so much easier for us to choose the death, to choose the hate, the suspicion, the prejudice, the, the, the naming, the, the blaming, the shaming. It's so easy to do that. So, so why is it easy? Why is it easy, though? Because I, I, um, why would it be easier for human beings to hate rather than to love? If both are a part of us. You know, which is easier to take water uphill or down him? But I don't think that love is an uphill battle. Why are you saying love is uphill? Because that's your analogy, isn't it? Well, what I'm what I'm saying is when so St. Paul will say all people have sin have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. The the other piece of that is we are all scarred by sin. And that's where the, the Catholic Church will talk about the original sin that we all have. And, and so there is a natural inclination to sin. We will call that concubescence. And it's a triple form of concubescence. Lust of the, of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And, and these three things pull us in a direction towards ourselves and towards selfishness and towards gratifying ourselves. When the culture proposes sacrifice opening up love giving yourself to the other and, and that becomes the dominant culture then the culture actually becomes a culture of grace when the culture turns in on itself and, and proposes that we live for ourselves we get everything we can have as much pleasure as you have hoard as much as you can hoard do whatever you want to do then we have a culture that is promoting a, a culture of, 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 of disharmony and a, and a culture of, of egoism and a culture of selfishness. You, you analyze which culture we're living in right now. My grandmother's culture was much different than the culture I am living in. And, and so the pull to the negative is, is, is there, but it, it, it starts inside of us. Everything is just a tool. How we use the tool determines what we make of it. And, and in this time, what is happening is, and, and why I highlight the media, is the media not only tell the news, which is what it used to do before, it actually creates what, what news is actually about by what it chooses to highlight also. 
And, and so we've been building this, this culture of division and, and, and rancor and, and confusion and, and, and this, you know, real disrespect for each other. We've been building this culture publicly. And, and that makes it much easier to go in that direction now than it was maybe 50 years ago. And, and what I'm saying is we need another culture. And, and that culture requires us to recognize the true dignity of who we are. Christ died for us and, and he's raised from the dead. And, and in, in that dying and being raised from the dead, he gives us opportunities to see the truth of the human being, that every single person is a person of dignity, of love, and of worth. And therefore, we can't disrespect anybody, no matter how high, low, up, down, black, white, yellow, or green they are. We, we can't well, well, I, well, I mean, I agree. I, I agree with you, and I'm certainly, I, I believe that there are many people, and let's, let's look at social media. There are many people on social media that I think will agree with what you're saying there. But when you look at the leaders of our country, and I'm, I'm talking about, I'm using the word generically, the leaders in whatever sphere in Trinidad and Tobago, are you satisfied that that dignity and respect is engendered in terms of how they speak with us and how they speak with each other? Because they set the tone. And, they, they, and the leaders also come out from the same fish pond that is producing the problem. And, and yes, I have, I have, I've been distressed at the, the, the tone of, of communication between leaders and the tone of communication from leaders to society and, and, and the way it sends the society down to the lowest common form and not to the highest common factor. It, it, I think that part of leadership is to, to, to point society in the, in the right direction to, the, to become the best of who we can become. Not, not to, the, to the lowest form that we can exist in. And I, I think that we have a great obligation now to point ourselves to, to the dignity of everyone. And with, with that said, what, what kind of changes would you like to see in the, and I'm being very specific here because they, they, have, they, they have a profound effect on the population, the political leadership in the country, in any sphere. What kind of changes would you like to see in their, in their interaction and mode of interaction? I, I would I would like to see a, a, a country where our leaders can can take the, the normal give and take of an opposition and a, and a, and a government um, and, and it's not just the political leaders too either it's the leaders of thought it's it's a it's the leaders of business it's the leaders of religion it's, it's all of our leaders I, I would like to see us being in a society where where we say okay no 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 we're not going down that road because that road is only going to bring more bitterness and more, more divisiveness between us. We're not going down that road. Here's where we're going to go. We, we're going to rise above this and, and, and let's talk about what we can hold in common and what we can work on together. And, and let's build Trinidad and today. And, 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 but that really means that we, we move away from our, our whatever is our core constituency and we put Trinidad and Tobago as more important than any individual constituency that we have. And that, that means for, for that means we have to have a foundation. And that means that God has to be far deeper the foundation of our life than, than God has been in the, in the last little while. How much of an impact do you think religion in its various forms still has in Trinidad and Tobago? 
and I'm not just talking about religious people or people who ascribe to be religious because you can go on social media and people say God and Jesus and they say all sorts of glib things about their faith but in practice they fall dramatically short and to the point that um, many religious people who are people who uh, ascribe that they're religious many of them fall short in, in of their everyday dealings with other human beings and and you see the selfishness you see some of the posts that, that they would if you look at the history of somebody who is saying xyz and you look back on their posts you will see many things that go against the dignity and the respect that you're talking about and that you're preaching this morning so religion has a certain narrative but how much is that narrative really impacting um the life in trinidad and tobago and and how we deal with each other every day uh, are you satisfied that you're having enough of an impact? You know, we are all a work in progress, eh? every single one of us, no exception. And, and we will all fall short of the glory of God. We'll all fall short of the high standards that we, that we should all live by. And, and I'm, I'm not excluding anybody from that, myself included. We will all fall short. What's most important is, is that we, we have a sense of standards where we know when we are falling short. That's what's important. That we have a sense of standards that we know when we are not living up to, to what we ought to be. And, and the second thing that's important, that whenever we recognize, gosh, I really messed up there, I do the next thing. I am sorry. I am sorry. I, and I apologize because if I mess up, I apologize. And from that experience, I can grow to become a better human being, but I can also lead by example that when we mess up, this is what we do. We apologize and we come better out of it. But that, doesn't that presume a, a universality of socialization? There are some sectors in society, some people, who are so socialized differently to us that they believe there's nothing wrong with corruption. They believe there's nothing wrong with stealing because that has been their generational socialization for whatever reason. And to presume that we all are socialized the same way and we have the same moral compass to me is a misnomer. I, I, I don't buy that entirely. I buy it in part. Socialization, yes, but everyone has a conscience. And, and the thing is, we break our conscience. I don't believe that people don't know that corruption is wrong or they don't know that hurting another person is wrong. I don't believe that. Those people are sociopaths. That, that's a psychiatric problem. And there's a group of, of people, very small percent of the, the, the population that are sociopaths, they don't know right from wrong. I, I believe everyone has, a, has access to right and wrong. And, and we might differ on where the, the, the actual lines are, but, but we'll, differ, we'll agree on some things in, in common. And, and that is true. Before people had connection with each other, all the communities of the world in, in, in the ancestral stage all had agreement about taking another person's life as wrong. Um, taking somebody's possession is wrong. Um, having, taking somebody's wife or husband is wrong. We, we had a couple of things that we all agreed on, the whole world. We have that common sense of a conscience. Okay, but what we're doing is we are justifying doing wrong and choosing to become a lower version of ourselves or a lesser version of ourselves. And that consistent choice kind of blinds us to conscience in some ways, but it, it, it kind of, justifies the decisions that we are making and leads us down down the wrong path 
But it's not that people don't know what's right and wrong. You know, if you sit down and talk to the most corrupt person, they have a sense of morality also. They don't live it in all the spheres of their life, but they do have it. But, but what do you tell? Because the, the church, the Catholic church is very powerful in Trinidad Tobago. Uh, Hinduism, the Hindu faith, the Muslim faith. We are, by and large, a pretty religious country in various religious denominations. However, as, as profound as religious is in our lives, there are those who have lost hope. We've seen the tragic stories about people who have decided to take their own lives in the past few weeks because the pandemic and just general life has hit them so hard they don't even think they can turn to a religious leader for intervention. And they decide, in spite of the availability of religious leaders in communities, in various denominations, in spite of several helplines, they say, you know what, there's no hope for me. What do you tell that person as Archbishop? There's the person listening right now who may be walking that very line. There, there is always hope. Pick up the phone and call a friend. Pick up the phone and, and, and phone the religious leader. Pick up the phone and, and speak with somebody. There's always hope. Go to your doctor. And, and, and talk with the doctor about how you're feeling. The, the thing with, with suicide and hopelessness is that a person's um, horizon shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until taking their life seems the only option they have out. And, and what you need to do is before that shrinking, while you recognize it's shrinking, reach out and get help from somebody. What about the reverse thought that the religious leaders should be reaching out to that person because they are the ones who are in psychological, emotional, and spiritual distress. And very often, the leaders are, let me say, isolated or in the church or in the mosque or in the mandir alone. And they should be reaching out to the community to see who is in distress or who are in distress. So during the pandemic, for instance, um, the, the Catholic Church was mobilized. We gave out, I, I forget, I think in 2020, it was 70,000 um, hampers to different families. And in 2020, 2021, it was over 100,000 hampers to, to different families. We opened a helpline. That if you have a challenge, call. Um, 624 was a, was a number. And, and a lot of people called. And, and through that helpline, we were able to get food to people who, who were in dire circumstances. We were able to counsel people who were having difficulties at that stage. We were able to, to talk through, through people with a whole lot of stuff. Um, we don't know, I don't have a crystal ball to tell me who is in, in need, but, but what we did was mobilize the church, and not just the priests, but the laity, groupings, St. Vincent Paul, Living Water Community, Eternal Life, all, all of our communities, we mobilize people to be where people are and to be available as people needed. Why do you think there's so much, or oh, well, I shouldn't say there's so much, but there is, because there are a lot of reports to the Children's Authority. Abuse of children, 14-year-old uh, killed by discipline, and, and are you an advocate of, a two-part question, are you an advocate of, of removing corporal punishment uh, legally? And why do you think there's so much child abuse? This is a question about the death of a six-year-old in the news this morning under dubious circumstances. We, the children's, children's authorities reporting and the, the gender um, division of the police service are reporting more and more situations of abuse of children in heinous 
circumstances? So, complex question. The culture of disrespect I was speaking about earlier, it starts in how we raise our children. And how do we raise our children? When a child, when we see a fault in a child, we, we mama guy, we point out, we highlight, we give fatty, we, we reinforce the negative that that child experiences. We teach them how to feel ashamed of themselves. And, and, and we don't help them to see what's best and true in themselves. Our child rearing practices are, are really not of the 21st century. That comes, I think, from a history of, of, of deep pain in our society that we have not yet faced and resolved. And, and we have to find a way for parents to say, yeah, you are feeling good about yourself, but let's not pass that pain on to the next generation. Here's how we can do it. Now, here's what I'm an advocate for. I am an advocate for getting away from corporal punishment. But what I've seen is, if you just simply remove the rod, the things go real bad at first before we figure out what to do next. So I'm an advocate that in the toolkit of discipline, put the rod right down at the bottom of that toolkit. And let's start teaching parents, teachers, principals, and adults, guardians. Let's start teaching them other tools that we could use in this toolkit of discipline. The problem is we've only had one tool, the rod. Take that away. We have no tool. The toolkit is now empty because we populated it with one tool. Let's start a national campaign of child rearing and of child discipline and help parents to understand there are so many tools that we could put in the toolkit that eventually they will not reach for the rod and we can just remove it and nobody will feel a blip in the system when it's. But do you think that because you just talked about dignity and respect for all human beings? And don't you think that that toolkit in the rod shouldn't be in the toolkit at all? I, ag I agree. The, the, the rod should not be in the toolkit. But the fact is, what I have seen in, in, in many instances is, is that when you tell the parent, the teacher, the principal, you cannot use the rod, and you don't do the other work, which is say, but here's how we do discipline without the rod and help them to, to, to learn a whole new way of doing discipline, which is not our culture and, and not our learning. So we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the skill, and we don't have the attitude towards it. So but don't you think that it's best to remove that tool anyway, that, that, that rod? Because I, I hear you, and it just sounds to me that they're kicking the can down the road. In other words, saying, no. let's talk about it, let's, let's maneuver. That's what it sounds like. No, no, I'm not kicking the can down the road. Here's what I have seen. I have seen, so we, we in schools, for instance, um, no more corporal punishment. And the next thing in discipline in school has gone crazy. Is it because we took away the rod? No, it's because we didn't teach the teachers and the principal how to do discipline without the rod. And I'm saying that's the piece that is missing. I'm a firm advocate that the rod has to go. I'm a firm advocate that corporal punishment must go. And, and, and there's no question about it. But I am saying that if you just simply do the knee-jerk like America and England did, and then they get a, a generation of hooligans that, that are indisciplined and uncontrolled, it's because we didn't teach other ways of doing discipline without the rod. But isn't that, isn't that a big generalization that you're giving there? Are you saying that there's a whole generation of English and American children that are all hooligans? That seems like a, 
an exaggerated generalization? It is an exaggerated generation, but you'll have to agree that the, the discipline that we had growing up is not the discipline a child has right now. Would you agree with me on that? It's different circumstances, different generation. Every generation is different. Every generation is different. Is, is, it discipline, is it discipline right now on our children where we want it to be? I, well, when when it comes when it comes to when it comes to peer, parents and parenting, school, I think school. it I think it becomes a, a personal choice of how you discipline. Is, is and I think some parents are more are more elevated in their thinking of how they discipline a child rather than uh, using the tool of the the, the rod. So ah, uh, so those parents were exposed to other methods of discipline besides the rod, or they educated themselves on it. But they were exposed to it, mm -hmm. or they they, 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 they they went to find out. I am all I'm saying is remove the rod while we teach parents, teachers, principals, adults how to do discipline without the rod. Because when you do one without the other, what happens is kids really. I mean, I know I know families that migrated from here to to England or to the states. And next thing, the, the, the 15 year old is telling the parent um, who used a slap as a, a form of discipline. I'm going to call the police on you. Now, parents' hands tied behind their back, but they haven't learned how to do the discipline without resorting to that which is despicable. Slapping a child, hitting a child, using the rod. Those are not forms of discipline that, that are humane. But we have to teach the adults how to discipline without the slap, without the rod, without the hitting, and, and do it in a way that is highly effective. And I have seen ways that are highly effective that help children to grow, mature, and become the best of themselves. And I've seen families do it, but it really takes a commitment. It takes training. It takes teaching of the parents and the adults. Otherwise, what happens is you have a chasm between running foul of the law and leaving your children to get away with murder. And I'm saying that that's not a good a good option for society. So it's a transition because it's no, behavior change and cultural change doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while. It takes a while, and and it's the same transition. While we're doing, let's do the discipline without the rod. We have to also realize that a child needs to hear seven positive affirmations for every time that we we, we point out something really negative to them. And that's the other thing we don't do. We don't teach our children what's beautiful and, and, and good and noble about themselves. And build their self-esteem. And if we were, if we were to, to, to really point out the, the, the good in our children and also say, okay, but you see this, let's do some work on this. And we understand how to do that. Discipline will not need the rod, will not need the staff, will not need corporal punishment. But do you think we, in that awareness and education process, it also needs to be... Uh, taught to parents and the society at large is that the very form of discipline that they they, they veer toward because that's what they've learned, that's what they grew up in. That's how we were disciplined. Is all has also damaged us in many ways to to, to, to continue the cycle. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's why I'm saying it's not so as simple as you know make the rod illegal and all of a sudden presto we'll have an enlightened society i'm saying 
while we're moving the rod off of this of the, the radar let's start a national campaign of teaching parenting and teaching parents how to discipline their children so that what what never lacks is discipline the tools that we use the approaches that we use the models that we use that's a different uh coming back of course in the last moments to this important weekend on the on the catholic and christian calendar what is your message as archbishop in the context of just coming out of a pandemic the country is traumatized like the rest of the world uh we are already getting images of abuses and atrocities in ukraine so the the, the oppressive negativity is still there in many ways while the pandemic may be clinically nearing its end the economic pandemic continues as a result of the clinical pandemic and people are struggling in the in the darkest moments of human history great lights have always shone and and this is not the time to be afraid of allowing your light to shine and it's not the time to be afraid of allowing Christ's light to shine inside of you we celebrate the resurrection of Christ god raised jesus christ from the dead and and he can do that in our mortal bodies and we can be lights in our families in our community and in our country and if every one of us would choose to give ourselves to the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ we would learn how to discipline our children differently we would learn how to be better neighbors with each other we will learn how to be better friends amongst each other and how to value every human being we would have an amazing trinidad and to the non-believers amongst us this this is a for us yeah why not no, because there are universal messages also in that. Or, or absolutely. Absolutely. Keep choosing to be the best version of yourself. And whenever you fall short of that, ask yourself why. Reflect on what happened. Reflect on the emotions that led you to that. And, and find another way of dealing with the deep emotions that send you down the places where you are not your best self. And, and ask yourself, and, and, and the creation, the universe, or whatever higher force you see, how do I make a step to becoming a better version of myself? Ask that every day, and, and, and let's build a better humanity. Is Trinidad to be a better country now than 20 years ago? In, in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. The discipline is, 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 is a real challenge that I see. Um, it's a national challenge, but it's an international challenge. Um, we're going to be 60 years old yep. really soon as a country. 60 yeah. years old. And that's as a serious independent country. And, and but, uh, we but have you know, the kinds of conversations that we should have as a 60-year-old nation in terms of what we want to be at 70 years old or 80 years old or 100 years old as a country. Yeah. yeah. But here's the thing, and, and this is not an excuse. But when America had reached the 60 years old, the, the civil war had torn them to pieces. When, when Venezuela and, and a lot of the, the republics in Latin America had reached the 60 years old, they had deep, deep challenges and divisions in their country. What we're experiencing is the growth pangs of a young nation. And, and we have to understand that. England took a thousand years to get to the Magna Carta. A thousand years. And, and then it still took a long time to get to settle democracy. And, and they're still working on it. 
16 years is a, is a blip in a national psyche. We have to do far more conscious work on some key, key things. Discipline of children, respect for everyone, and, and learning to be great neighbors. If we had a national campaign on that, I, I think we would, we would get to our 70 and our 80 and our 100 in a much better way than we, than we are heading right now. I think to, to, to underscore as we close your point earlier on, as opposed to disciplining, effect, more effective parenting, more caring and humane parenting. Absolutely. And, and discipline is not, discipline is, for me, discipline is not only telling a child what not to do, you know, it's modeling what ought to be done. It's affirming good actions and good choices. It's affirming right decision making. It's affirming when a child has learned a new, a new way of, of making great decisions. So for me, it's a whole gamut. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. And a lot of what you are saying there, I agree with. But you know, when we have these discussions on radio sometimes about the issue of rods and, and correction and stuff like that and how dis to discipline children, people like to pelt back at you, oh, you have no children. What do you know about disciplining children? <laughs> so I'm asking you that, Archbishop. Yeah. What do yeah. you know about disciplining children? Because that's what I get. Because people presume that I have not raised a child. But, yeah. but, but in the context of being a priest, um, what, you have very cynical people who will say, well, what do you know about raising a child? How do you I, answer that? I have raised many, many, many children. You would be shocked. Um, as a young priest, I was responsible for Marion House, which is a second chance family for socially displaced young men. The guys we had coming in were guys who were living on the streets or guys who would have been living on the streets if we were not there. And, and so you're dealing with a child in his most formative years as a teenager, in his most traumatized state. And, and we didn't have corporal punishment. But we found ways of, of, of doing discipline that helped a child to choose what they wanted. We had something called a, 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 a personal development plan. I say, okay, what's, what's three areas in your life you want to work on? And they would say, what, what's the growth steps you want to, how are we going to get you there? What do you need help with? And, and at the end of the term, we say, okay, how did you do in that? And, you know, the guys grew and, and said, at the end of a term, they said, well, you know, I did real good in this one and this one, but this one I really didn't do so good. Okay, let's talk about why and how we could do that better. So I have been hands-on parenting the most troubled adolescent boys that we have had in the country at, at, at the front stages. And I'm so proud of so many of those young men who have done exceptional for themselves and, and who are great parents, great fathers, great husbands, and, and great employees and some great employers, um, medical doctors, accountants, the full gamut um, that I have seen come through, come through our program. Yeah. Well, I think that's a All good right. point at which we can end the conversation this morning. Thank yeah. you so much and happy, happy and holy to everyone. And this is the sacred time. Find yourself in your church. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's participate in these sacred moments. And His Grace, before you go, you know, every time you're on, you have to say a prayer. But we oh, would so like to also um, send our condolences to you and all those at Archbishop House on the passing of our avid listener for many years to the Paul Breakfast Show, Christine Lee. 
Um, oh, who, yeah. when I called for when I called and spoke to Karen and they yesterday and I just said um, you know I haven't heard from Christine in so long how's she going and they gave me the sad news I almost dropped yes yes so condolences so to all across there yeah, yeah she was she was well loved on the power breakfast. yeah I'm getting so many messages that people are just in shock yes yes it was so, very sorry, curiosity your grace so, sorry are you going to continue streaming and, and are you going back to face-to-face -face masses because that streaming thing has been very helpful to many who could not physically go to the churches so we're going to do both because we still have a, a group who, during covid have become immobile and are no longer going out um so we're going to keep the streaming masses going but we're going to encourage people please come out and, and participate physically in the in the eucharist yeah. So, sorry to interrupt you. Your, your continued condolences to Christine's family. And I will, I will pass it on to. Yeah, uh, to, um, it was quite right. a shock. All right, as as we go and you lead us in prayer for this Easter weekend, I also want you to include those. There are a lot of people that are going through so many different issues that you know, looking for a word of encouragement, and probably we don't know where to turn to. If we could put them in as well. Father, you created us, you love us, and, and you give us every grace that we need to open our hearts to you and to receive from your hand all that is good. You have given us this blessed land named after your trinity. We pray this day that you open our hearts, our minds, our imaginations. Help us to see that our difference is our greatest asset and that our difference is a call in each one of us to build bonds of unity and to build bonds of fraternity. We pray, O oh God, that in this dark time in which we live, that you allow your light to shine in us, through us, and through your people. We pray, O oh God, that out of your infinite goodness, that you allow us to experience mercy, compassion, and grace. Give us that grace that we need, O oh Lord, that we may really as a nation find the way to you. We pray for all of our leaders at this time, that you give every one of our leaders that grace that we will need to really lead with dignity and show the highest form that we can aspire to and point to the kind of Trinidadian and Tobagonian that we need to see right through our society. Help us, O oh Lord, that as we seek to build a better nation, a better family, that we may become better people, that your grace may be sufficient for us. And for those who are on the fringe right now and on the brink of despair, we ask, oh God, two things. Give them courage and hope, oh Lord. Reach to them and touch them. And those around, stir their hearts to reach out, Lord, and to, to cross over and to, to find a way to be of hope and to be of, of care for those who are most in need in our midst. We ask this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Thank you, Archbishop. All the best to God you. Have, have a great a Easter and have a uh, hot cross bun for me. Thank you. All right. God Take bless. care. All the best to you. Bye-bye. All, right. All right. Of course, that was his grace, Archbishop Paul of Spain, um, Charles Jason Gordon. All right. All right. As uh, we are a little late on news. Recording so let's, stopped. Thank you, Dorothy. Happy Easter to you. Let's get into, and let me say good morning. Good night, Foxy. Thanks for a message. I haven't heard from you in such a long time. Let's get into our 8 o'clock news brief. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.